Hi, and welcome to the Council Fathers Podcast. We're bringing a heartful perspective to this wild journey we call fatherhood. I'm Noah Goldstein. I'm Dave Boniuto. Thanks for joining us. And if you do enjoy this, please subscribe and share it with another dad out there who may benefit. Today, we're following up with part two of principles for fatherhood. And we'll start with a little recap of what we went over last week. That's right. We have 12 principles that we came up with as sort of a recap for one of our cohorts, one of our six months of learning sessions. And the first principle that we talked about was to start with the man in the mirror, which is a reminder for fathers that this is an opportunity, fatherhood is an opportunity to look within. And it's not from a perfectionist self-improvement project perspective, but rather an opportunity to think about and feel into what kind of dad do you want to be and start there. Two was that it's never about what you think. That's right. Um, so often we get hooked as as dads in thinking we know what's happening, uh, and it's rarely about what we actually think is happening. There's almost always something underneath. And so to start getting into the habit of listening for what's underneath and looking for what's really going on for my kiddo. Or my partner. Or your partner. Or, or one's partner. Or, or one's, one's partner. co-parent. Or oneself, or even, one's, yeah. would you say, Noah? Definitely. But you digress. Number three, principle three, was that control is the opposite of connection. And that so often our kids are looking for connection with us and we're looking for connection with our partners or with our kids and as a way to try to feel better internally we can try to control what's happening try to swoop in and use discipline or logic to try to change a situation when what is really called for is to slow down and connect that was a great summary, and um, I think it's always good to review. To, repetition is one of those things that really helps us remember. Um, so today we're going to dive in with principle number four, which is it's better to be happy than to be right. Um, you think that's true? I think that can be true. I think you're right. <laughs> How's it feel to be right? Oh, it feels so good. Doesn't it feel good to be right? Yeah. I mean, um, so we both were kind of spending some time reflecting and preparing for, for the episode. And um, I was just thinking about how this shows up for me and has been showing up most recently, especially with my, my middle four-year-old son, Zephyr, um, who likes to say it's not fair about everything. And, um, and I, I've a few times caught myself kind of tempted to argue and explain to him why it actually is fair. And, you know, um, but 
recognizing the folly of that thanks to this principle has been has been really helpful and um you know there's a way in which this ties into it's never about what it's really about but um yeah often we get sort of caught into i know i'm right and you're wrong and you need to understand that and that actually doesn't really help anybody or anything yeah can be kind of funny when I catch myself arguing with my seven-year-old or my nine-year-old. I mean, in retrospect, at least it's funny (laughs) that I'm trying to win an argument using logic with a child. But yeah, so often I think it's actually a way to try to maintain control, you know? And I was thinking about how it's one of those things that feels good in the short term Mm -hmm. right to be right it really does i mean i think somewhere along the line i learned you know i think we all do that that to win an argument is important to convince Mm -hmm. the other person that we're right will somehow lead to a good outcome for us and i think it does feel good in the short term But I think in the long term, it just reinforces and teaches. I mean, it teaches our kids to argue, right? We (laughs) talked about that last episode, how we're always modeling. And so when I go in to win an argument with my son, I'm showing him how to how to interact with me, mm-hmm. right? You go until you win and the other person apologizes or concedes. Mm-hmm. And that seems to grow in distance rather than connection, mm-hmm. which I think we talked about last time as as the goal. Well, yeah, and there's this whole quality. I mean, there is, the reason it feels good to to win an argument is because it's a way of, of taking power in the relationship. Um, certainly is not a way of empowering somebody else or, you know, sharing the power, if you will. And so, uh, and granted, you know, there is a power dynamic that's important in a parent-child relationship, but, and, um, there's something when, when I find myself arguing, if I, if I actually slow down to listen not just to the words, but to the feelings, what what this kid's needing or what my partner is needing, then um, I usually get to better outcomes and I can actually hear what they're saying underneath their argument. Totally, yeah. When we're just trying to win, first of all, I don't think I've honestly ever won a fight (laughs) you know i might feel like oh yeah i got the other person to concede or back down or whatever you know it might feel like a victory but it didn't have the intended outcome Mm. at all you know it didn't teach my children anything it didn't bring me closer to my wife so i don't think i've ever really won a fight you know with a with a capital w right and so this can be such a great 
reminder when I catch myself trying to convince, trying to argue, trying to win, to say to myself, would I rather win or would I rather be happy? Mm -hmm. You know, would I rather feel connected? Would I rather feel close and like we're making progress together? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's interesting because that whole win-lose thing, it, it, it reminds me of what I've been doing with my kids when they get, when they're fighting about something, whose turn is it? Or how do we, you know, I want to play this. He wants to play that. And it's like, oh, they're trying to, one of, one of them is trying to, they both want what they want. And, you know, I just sort of sit them down and I say, Hey, Hazel wants this. Zephyr wants this. Is the, Let's find a solution where, you know, if Hazel gets what she wants, then Zephyr's going to be unhappy. And if Zephyr gets what he wants, then Hazel's going to be unhappy. Let's find a solution where, where everyone can actually f be happy. And I am blown away. These, you know, seven-year-old and four-year-old are just, when, they, when they're given the opportunity and some facilitation, they come up with these incredible solutions. And sometimes one of them is like, you know what, I don't actually really care about this that much, you know the other kid can have it. And other times, you know, they really just have these creative, creative solutions. Sometimes I work through it with them and I offer some solutions. And that's ultimately what we're, we're all going for when we're in an argument. Yeah. The other day we were in the car, all four of us, and my wife and I got into an argument in front of the kids and they were watching us like we were TV sets, you know, they were glued to us. And so I was hyper aware of, you know, how do I, what do I want to model here? What, what do I want my kids to learn about disagreements? And what do I want them to learn about, about relationship, mm -hmm. you know, cause these are, these are little adults in training, you know, they are watching and trying to pick up how how do I have close relationships with others? And so it was helpful to know you're being watched, Dave. <laughs> it was helpful to have that thought and then also be really intentional about listening and trying to understand Rach and trying to really soften and catch myself you know that little voice in my head saying yeah but you know you're right right <laughs> and yeah of course i was right <laughs> i'm always right <laughs> in my mind in the middle of an argument and you know what matters then it matters that i want both of us like you're saying i want uh, i want both of our needs to be met and I want my kids to watch um, and learn that they can, like you're saying, can come to a, a nice resolution mm -hmm. where everyone wins. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that leads to these kinds of arguments is getting triggered by somebody else, which leads us to our next principle. This is principle number five, which is you will always have triggers, 
but try not to let your triggers have you. What do you make of that, Noah? Well, I think this is something we're going to probably circle back. I feel like triggers is a big topic that could certainly get its own episode or even multiple episodes. And it's something I feel really strongly about because um, and it's something we, we do a lot of teaching about in in the councils. Um, you know, I think, first of all, there's this sort of, sort of recognition that we're going to get triggered inevitably, right? And so how do we deal with that, right? And um, there's a few different pieces to how I think of how we deal with it. One is um, slowing down the refraction period, right? That that's that moment we get triggered to like when we act, if we can slow that down, then we'll have more options in terms of all of our in terms of our actions, right? The difference between a reflexive knee jerk, literally, as soon as this happened, I just yell versus like it happening. And then me feeling like feeling the, Oh, and, and then saying, wait a second, you know, what are my options here? Right. And then the other piece I think has to do with speeding up the recovery, right? So on the front end, trying to slow things down so that we get triggered and we don't, go straight into action mode but we want to speed up if we do go into a action mode in that trigger world of like whether it's yelling or picking our kid up a little bit more vigorously than we need to be um we can catch ourselves as quickly as possible pause slow down and you know acknowledge what's happening um and get our feet back under ourselves and you know reconnect and repair yeah i like that sort of the um rather than trying to control whether or not we're triggered you're sort of talking about a speed dial like how do we slow things down at times and then speed things up it's almost like a like a manual transmission in a car we often talk about and in the council of fathers we talk about three opportunities around triggers and mm-hmm. we, you have sort of before which is really you know how do we resource ourselves we'll talk about that in another principle but how do we how do we take care of ourselves in a way where we're less likely to get triggered but also how do we delve into our own triggers how do we take a look at their origin like where are these coming from so I can do a little work and unpack what's underneath and start to heal the feelings or wounds or, or um, echoes of the past, mm. you know, where we start to work on what's leading to the triggers. There's the during, which you're talking about, really trying to create some more space in the moment and trying to develop a little bit more observer like some distance from the thoughts that are arising and the emotions that are arising in the moment and maybe a couple tricks and and techniques to go in into it with how do i sort of disrupt my as you say reflexive response how do i put a little pause in there we talk about some strategies for that and then this opportunity afterwards to mm-hmm. sort of repair um, 
maybe apologize, reconnect, unpack what happened, process that that opportunity afterwards seems to be like pretty powerful in terms of how likely it is to happen again mm-hmm. and also how big it happens again next time mm-hmm. like what we do after affects the next time a hundred percent and i mean i really appreciated that you brought in that piece around unpacking what these triggers are all about because i mean the one thing you know you will always have triggers right that's true but from direct personal experience you don't have to have as many triggers and things that once triggered you don't have to continue to trigger you there we live in a time when there's a lot of understanding of how the brain works and how you know getting triggered works and why these things happen and um you know whether it's in therapy or coaching there there's all sorts of techniques to to really dismantle some of them you know it with the proper with the work you know comes with like you said digging into the past understanding where this is coming from why it's there and um it's 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 pretty powerful it's it's amazing to me to to be in an experience and to know, oh, this would have triggered me. Before I had worked through that, you know, and the, the, I would be triggered right now. I'm not triggered. I'm like, you know, I, I'm feeling feelings, but they're not overriding me. And you're saying there's hope. Yeah, yeah <laughs> there is. And, and it doesn't happen like overnight. And it, you know, but I, I but absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And you know, it's funny, I there's there's this way in which intimate relationships like marriage and kids bring out the triggers mm-hmm. that I didn't even know I had. You know, I mean, before before I had kids, I thought I was a pretty chill guy, you know, but they came equipped <laughs> with all the buttons. Mm-hmm. They know what buttons to press like no one else. I mean, I think there's this way in which triggers are proportionate to how much we care about someone, mm-hmm. you know, which is why marriage can be so mm-hmm. triggering, right? The, the The stakes are high when you've really invested in a relationship. And so, you know, I... I'm not as patient and <laughs> uh, cool, calm, and collect as I thought I was. And that's that's also good news, you know, that, because as you say, you know, it's these relationships that I care so much about that allow the triggers to become conscious, that mm-hmm. that allow them to be something that now I can work through, Mm -hmm. you know? So whereas before I thought I was uber patient, I was just sitting on, you know, a a whole lot of irritation and agitation that I was unaware of, that Mm. I was keeping locked up and locked down. Right. And that's not 
growth. That's just avoidance. Right. But having relationships that mean so much to me allows that to arise. That's the hard news. Mm -hmm. But the good news is then it allows us to do the work that leads to growth. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity. It, it really is. And there's a lot to be grateful for. There's in, in, in those opportunities. Um, there's one other thing I just wanted to name that has to do with um, how, how resourced we are, really, which isn't another principle we're going to get to. But just that when we've gotten enough sleep, when we've eaten three square meals during the day, when we are getting the exercise we need and whatever other kind of outlets in terms of that backlog of stress that we have. The right amount of caffeine, <laughs> the sort of wake up on the right side of the bed, the sun's got to be coming in the right angle, you know? I mean, it really is somewhat of a miracle. It is, especially <laughs> as parents, right? We, we, we don't, we do get strained, right? In all of the right ways, which is why we get triggered yeah. um, if more. I, if I stand on my left foot and hold my right, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but yeah, but I just, you know, sometimes we forget the importance of taking care of ourselves. And and I think that this is another, don't let your triggers have you, right? right. How, can you, is it possible to work in 20 minutes of exercise twice three times a week like is it possible to close the netflix half an hour earlier and get an extra little bit of sleep is it you know just what are the little things that you can do to to help give your nervous system some what it needs yeah i had a a mentor once that would talk about a balloon filling mm. with air you know, and if, and if you think about all the stressors of being a dad, work stressors, relationship stressors, parenting stressors, and then you add, you know, the incredible stressors that are happening environmentally, in the community, pandemic, you know, you can just picture this balloon getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's sort of a couple options there, right? One is it pops, which nobody wants. Mm -hmm. And and two is to find a way to let the air out. And I think that leads us to the next principle, mm -hmm. which is you're only as good as your resources. Right. And I, I don't know how you feel about that. That's a that's a big statement. What do you think of that? You're only as good as your resources. I mean, it's maybe an exaggeration for the sake of getting the point across, but none of us can actually show up more than our resources allow us to show up. Yeah, no man is an island is the other sort of cliche. Right. Right? And that's the... the yeah, these aphorisms are, are meant to be not point to the to the truth, but to point to something helpful, which is... I don't know about you, but I, I have definitely learned in my life to try to handle everything on my own. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's manhood right there. That's, that's what I learned. And it's sort of, you know, you get badges for, for doing things on your own, you know, you get patted on the back and I've this whole, like asking others for help is, is 
both foreign and uncomfortable for me. But I sort of think about myself now in the middle of, you know, a, a diagram with, you know, I'm in the middle and there's these domains, circles all around me. I'm not just myself. I am also my relationships. I am also my, my friendships, you know, my social community, my, how I spend my time with, in recreation and leisure, how I take care of my physical self and my body and spirituality. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm made up of, of lots of areas that when I tend to them, mm -hmm. they serve me. Yeah. And and they're they're both integrated and compensatory, mm -hmm. right? Big words, ten cent <laughs> words. But just meaning that <laughs> meaning that if I am underslept, that's in the physical domain. You know, maybe my you know my friendships, my connection with my social group is is supporting me to show up. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, one of the exercises I often do with people I'm coaching at a certain point, if, you know, if, if it shows up is to literally write down all the different resources that, that they're aware of, um, in different categories so that you can just like see it, see it on paper. Oh yeah, I'm not alone. Or like, Oh, these are the ways I take care of myself. Oh, these are the people who I turn to, you know, and, and these are the activities in my life that really fill me up and nourish me and make me feel rejuvenated or, or replenished or resourced, you know, and, um, and then you can take that list and you can look at your calendar, you know, you, you can think back, when was the last time I spoke to this person when was the last time i did this thing or you know why isn't this in my life as much as i want it to be or need it to be or and and start to make some changes um yeah i think that that is really an important piece and, and the other thing i just going back to that balloon analogy that you used um there's this thing that happens in our nervous systems in our in our lives where we experience something stressful something intense and we kind of deal with it in the moment which often in the moment means we, we we contain it and then we move on with our day and we sort of forget about that thing that happened mm. but it's still alive in our nervous system in our bodies in our beings on our minds and and so it's really important that we do things that, that that allow us to discharge that stuff from our nervous yeah, system. Yeah, totally. And um, and yeah, and so this is one of those things: connecting heart to heart with a with a friend, a parent, a cousin, you know, on the phone. What you know, and going out for a drink, going out for a run or a walk or a hike, and just moving your body, dancing, whatever it is. Right, everyone has their things. Yeah, I mean, just imagine sort of taking away all those bubbles, you know, all those domains, and you're just left with work 
and family. Mm. That's a lot of pressure on those two, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then, you know, let's say work is stressful and you come home to this peaceful paradise of calmness <laughs> and what? No, mm. you're stepping on Legos and kids are screaming and your spouse has also, you know, had a day, right? And so it's, if those are the only two areas, there isn't the the place to to discharge and then we're back in trigger land, right? Everyone's trigger happy at mm-hmm. that point. Kids are trigger happy. Each of the adults in the house are trigger trigger happy. Um, well, that makes me think of just two things. One is that we can resource ourselves. It doesn't have to be in isolation from our family, right? There are things out there that can be resourcing, not just for us, but for, you know, Sometimes there's a risk of stress. Like I'm thinking about skiing right now because it's winter, right? So going skiing can be really fun and connective. It can also include meltdowns and there's the whole schlepping and getting all the gear and, oh, I forgot this or this kid doesn't have, is missing a mitten, right? So so it can be stressful, but, but it can also be this really fun, nourishing thing that you do as a family that makes everyone, that recharges everyone. Yeah. And, and so just remembering again that we don't have to resource ourselves always alone in isolation totally um and then the other piece is is something that i think happens a lot for men in the modern era is that when it comes to emotional intimacy as a resource we go to our wives yeah when it comes to friendship we go to our wives mm. when it comes to, Hey, let's do something fun this weekend. We go to our wives and, and, um, and it's not fair and it's not good for the relationship, not sustainable, not sustainable. And, um, yeah. And I think one of the, the best things that Rachel and I do for our, our relationship, for our marriage is, is that we, we re- we cultivate actively um, our relationship to other resources, other people in our lives that that serve as a place for emotional intimacy, that serve as a place for friendship and connection and play and fun. We also, of course, you know, do that stuff together. But it, it I think it it lightens the load. There's not this burden of of this person's needing me for everything in every way in terms of their human connection and especially with covid and but i just think that men in general tend to reach out less tend to um get vulnerable less with other with friends and you know maybe yeah yeah i'm glad you mentioned that i i think now is a good time to mention too that both noah and I oh yeah, are married to women named Rachel. Yeah. So we're when we share about Rachel, <laughs> we're not talking about each other's wives. Usually, usually we're we're talking, talking about, about our own. own. Yes. So I just wanted to clarify that That's, real quick. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, I couldn't agree more that we go from, you know, at least when I was single, I had a lot of guy friends male friends that i hung out with a lot you know i spent a lot of time with them you know maybe not necessarily deep 
emotional connections and but those other categories you were talking about you know friendship and connection and you know doing fun activities together was pretty spread out and then you know starting a family becomes the insular in a in a, in a way we become a little bit isolated from the village and we yeah we want to be aware how much are we relying on each other mm-hmm. for roles that are really for for meant to be for others too in particular friends yeah so we've got knowing your resources we've got you are going to get triggered inevitably and we've got it's better to be happy than to be right what do you think dave is there is there anything else we should we should say or add or before we wrap up today these are these are just guideposts right these are just guidelines and we're hopeful that it's helpful for y'all and you know things to remember in that moment you know like things to bring to mind when i'm feeling stressed or out of sorts you know i could think of these things and remember what is it that i'm really after mm-hmm. you know yeah and i and like i think we said this last time but you know these are they're hallways they're doorways they're this conversations about any one of these topics can really um be an interesting thing to to bring up with a partner a friend um even your kids depending on how old they are um could be super relevant so hopefully y'all enjoyed this the second of a four-part series about principles for fatherhood if you did please feel free to rate the show share it with a friend um shoot us an email let us know we're connect at counseloffathers.com you can also find us on instagram and uh yeah keep the love moving yeah thanks for listening y'all we appreciate you and we just love talking about all things fatherhood yeah be well (laughs) 